Hello, I'm Donnie Clinton, Director of Student Ministry and Media at West Hills Church, located in the heart of West County in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. I'm also the host of the Going Deeper podcast at West Hills Church, where we take a few minutes to dive into last week's sermon or an interesting topic in the life of the church. West Hills is a gospel-centered church that glorifies God by living in authentic Christian community with one another, growing in spiritual maturity as disciples of Jesus, and serving the world missionally with the love of Christ. West Hills meets at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings for worship, and we would love to have you join us. On episode 6 of Going Deeper, Pastor Will and I are going to talk about baptism, why Christian baptism is important, the different modes of baptism, which just means how the water is administered, who to baptize, believers or infants, and other aspects of baptism as well. So pull up a chair and let's dive into things of God as we go deeper. Today, as you heard in the intro, we're going to talk about the mode of baptism, uh, who baptism should be administered to, and basically anything else that comes up in conversation. So, uh, Pastor Will, thank you for hanging out with us today. Thank you, Don. Um, do you want to give us a quick recap on Sunday morning a little bit? Like, what was it about and why why today we're talking about baptism? That's good. Yep. So, um, last Sunday we went back to Mark chapter 1 and we studied the first 11 verses. Um, and I asked sort of the question, well, I asked seven questions actually. That was the title of the sermon, seven questions from the outset. But one of the big ones was, why does Mark start with John the Baptist? And uh, so we unpacked that. But um, as you might expect, when um, someone's got got uh, their title right there in their name, um, John the Baptist, <laughs> Uh, we talked a lot about baptism and uh, about how you know baptism is incredibly important uh, for us as believers and uh, important enough that that John, or sorry, rather that Mark would even start his gospel with this story of um, Jesus's baptism and, and the beginning of Jesus's uh, public ministry. And so, um, yeah, that was sort of the the quick recap of. Um, of where we started and and where we're headed from here in our series. So yeah, we even punctuated that with someone getting baptized. Yep. Um, Courtney Johnson. Courtney. Right? Yeah. Courtney is just someone who has come to see that she needed to be baptized. She is uh, confessed. She believes, um, and she gave a heartfelt testimony, which will soon be available. If it not if it is not available right now, soon be available in video form for more West Hillians to see. Um, just saying why she was baptized, she confessed the gospel, and yeah, so... And we get to do that again this coming week. Um, mm-hmm. Allie Smith's going to be baptized, and I've been approached by two or three of y'all already since Sunday about wanting to be added to their numbers of the uh, the faithful washed uh, yeah. masses of the church, so mm-hmm. that's great. So, and if, and if this is something you're listening to later, after the fact, um, this week coming up is, like, what is it, the third? May 5th. May 5th. Cinco May de Mayo. 5th. Cinco de Mayo. Um, we'll have a Cinco de Mayo theme, <laughs> Cinco, theme baptism. Everyone who gets baptized wears a sombrero. <laughs> I feel bad. <laughs> um, if, if this is past May 5th and you also want to be baptized, reach out to Pastor Will or Lana or Absolutely. me or Allie, and we would just love to talk to you about what that means. And um, I myself have a little packet for baptism I walk people through. Oh, so, good. Yeah. yeah, so do I. But, yeah. Today, let's share notes. Yeah, let's, we're just going to get into it and talk about um, initially, are you going to 
read from this first? Well, I want to tell a story first. I thought that, okay. you know, stories are always nice, right? Yeah, especially H- for this H- issue. Preaching 101, like start mm-hmm. with a good story to mm-hmm. pull people in. So, um, short story, uh, a few years back, it was, it was within, I believe, my first year here at the church. Um, we had a couple who uh, shall re- re- remain anonymous who um, are still at the church to their credit, and I... I'm so thankful they've stayed, but um, they came to Gary uh, to um, discuss membership, and they'd been coming for years at that point, and uh, the, the long and short of it is, he, he was excited, he um, passed, he talked with them, I think, he t- passed them on to the elders, and they started the membership discussion, and um at step two or three or whatever it was of the process, um, it became clear at a certain point in time that they had a valid, you know, testimony of faith clearly, um, but that they uh, had been baptized as infants and not since coming to faith as um, children or adults. And uh, that is that that is one of the things that's in our covenant of membership is um, that you need to be uh, a baptized uh, believer and and be baptized as a believer. And um, so the long story short was our, our elders told this couple that they were not uh, going to be able to be members at West Hills. And I will tell you when Gary um, shared that news with me, I was uh, pretty upset. Um, I, you know, I, I really struggled to see how we could be so unwelcoming of this couple who had been worshiping with us for years, who clearly were, were believers, are believers, um, lovely people. And, uh, yet, you know, we would, that we would tell them that they couldn't be members in, in your, your mind, like mine, um, might go to any number of, you know, the most sort of extreme examples of that. You know, the, the example that I mentioned is to Gary when I was discussing and expressing my frustration of the process with, with him and our position on it at that time was, you know, I said, so you're telling me if, if Tim Keller retired from preaching at Redeemer Press, which he since has, and he decided to retire to St. Louis, warmer than New York, and um, and he just checked out our church and started coming here and decided he wanted to join and become a member. We're going to tell Tim Keller, and if you don't know who Tim Keller is, then um, you can look him up. Look him up. But we're going to tell Tim Keller that he he's you know how, how do you how do you have that conversation with him that he can't be a member? So long story short, I was very frustrated, and I'll just fast forward three and a half years or three years um, to today and having researched and studied, poured over the text and the arguments uh, for the past week or so now in preparation for the sermon last Sunday and then for this podcast, I will say now um, that I am so thankful for our elders (laughs) and I'm so thankful for our church statement of faith. I'm thankful um, that we've taken such a strong position on such an important issue. And as much as I know we're going to say in this podcast, and, and I think it's important to remember that um, that this is uh, not a, an issue that um, should cause uh, believers to break fellowship 
um, with with one another as members of you know the the body of Christ universal um, that I so much see the value and the need for organizations like the Gospel Coalition, which we're big on as a church, um, where uh, Presbyterian and Lutheran and Anglican and Baptist and non-denominational you know, believers alike will gather together around the banner of the gospel and Jesus Christ crucified and, and, and buried and resurrected for our sins and, uh, you know, not div- be excessively divisive in unnecessary ways. I also think that I, I have come to see a great value in denominationalism and in, um, you know, the, the, the um, ability of the church to, uh, to, to group along lines of like-minded believers on issues that are important enough to be divided over. We're not talking about disagreement over the color of the church carpet here. We're talking about something very important. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I just wanted to share that story both as a way of framing up uh, the importance of this as an issue, the personalness of this as an issue for us at West Hills. And, and we've, I, you know, I could sit here and name for you people at West Hills who are strong, as far as I can tell, you know, believers um, who are not baptized. I can share, probably I'd be much more reticent to share people who, who I know who have been baptized, um, whether as adults or as infants who, you know, the Lord knows their heart. But, um, you know, we've, we've got people, and, and maybe not at West Hills, but um, we've got, you know, there are people out there, millions of people who have been baptized, who have no relationship with Christ at all. Um, it was something their parents did for them, and, and they, ha- they don't even know that it was done or what it means or whatever. We have people, millions of people who have a, a vibrant relationship with Christ who have not been baptized and in all these things in 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 all these directions I think are are problems and so I think what we want to try and drill down to in this episode is a biblical understanding of baptism a a normative understanding of of what baptism is what it should be um and yeah try and be a church that is yeah pursuing that vision it's an it's important to note that um as Will said, this is a very sensitive issue. The Gospel Coalition is a good like reference, though, if you're looking for people who um, have major disagreements about pretty important things, but come together under the gospel, which is Christ died, uh, rose again, rest- restoring everybody and people back to him through belief in him. Um, in our church at West Hills, uh, the position would be, um, it's called a Credo Baptist, and we're just going to read the definition of a good segue into it. And, Credo meaning like um, creed, yeah, like and more be- actually, believers, yeah. yeah. So. so like a creed, like we're con- they're confessing something. So mm-hmm. West Hills' position specifically is Christian baptism is the immersion in water of the one who professes faith in Jesus Christ. Um, and then just a bit bigger, because West Hills belongs to a conference, not a denomination. Um, The Baptist General Conference, or Converge, says on their website, we believe that Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water into the name of the triune God. So there are different parts of that that we can uh, kind of pick apart. But Pastor Will, can you just tell us first the the distinctiveness of what is 
Christian baptism as opposed to baptism everywhere else. Yeah. Why, what, what's Christian baptism? Yes, that's good. So there's there's so many things we could get into here, but um, you know when we talk about baptism, one of the things that we I, I mentioned in the sermon last week is sometimes we can get uh, confused about this point. The most important baptism that we need to first set out and establish biblically that it, that is primary and most important is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's what um, John the Baptist prophesied that Jesus would be um, giving people. John said, my baptism is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, which, as I said in the sermon, leaves you coming out of the water feeling empty. Your sins have been remitted. They've been absolved of of your guilt, um, blank, clean slate. But uh, that, that doesn't actually fill you with anything positively. Jesus' baptism is different. John says he, he will baptize you with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is going to fill that void, replace that blank slate now with his righteousness. Um, he, he, he clothes us in his righteousness, 1 Peter 3, um, so that now when God sees us, he sees us as being clothed in all the righteousness of Christ and not as the guilty sinners that we that we are. And so um, because of that, you know, that baptism, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that is what is required for salvation. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, when people say, well, do you have to be baptized to be saved? You know, I think so so often the church, the Protestant church has been so quick to say, no, 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 because we want to distinguish ourselves from Catholicism. Um, And that's one of the things we should do in this episode too, is distinguish even amongst paedo-baptists, which is um, diff- the, the sort of opposing viewpoint from credo-baptists, which West Hills would be credo-believers baptism, um, a creed that we believe, versus pedo, um, just kind of the Greek word for infant. So um, infant baptism, you know, even amongst infant Baptists, we should distinguish between, let's say, the Catholic position versus the position of um, Presbyterians, Lutherans, Anglicans, others, um, insofar as, you know, Paedo-baptism in the Catholic Church eventually um, sort of got so far off the rails theologically that there was all these accompanying doctrines of you know purgatory and limbo and you know baptism being actually the thing that washes away your original sin and and all these sorts of things. Whereas actually we would be um, West Hills would be much more s- similar in terms of the way we talk about and understand baptism to, um, you know, a Lutheran or a Presbyterian understanding, which would, which would basically say, you know, no, there's, there's no real washing away of, of sin that's happening when you baptize an infant or an, a, an adult. That happens with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is, this is a, more of a symbol, a sign. And so actually, I think that, um, if I can skip ahead a little bit in our conversation, um, West Hills would be, would be actually in alignment with a lot of the ways that we would talk about baptism with, say, a paedo-baptist church, insofar as I think I would very comfortably say baptism is um, a sign of the covenant. And, and so <laughs> that's what, for a, for a, a Presbyterian, a Lutheran, you know, the, their understanding of paedo-baptism is going to be wrapped up in a covenantal theology, so a theology of the covenant. And um, if, we're, if we're at that point in the conversation, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I, I would like to just read from, because I, I think it's, uh, 
And then Donnie, I'll I'll invite you in to to weigh in on this after after this as well because Donnie and I this is an issue where Donnie and I even as being on staff um, at West Hills you know we have some disagreements but um, but I, I want to read from R C Sproul this is a study note in his Reformation um, Study Bible um, I know a lot of you guys that are listening at, at West Hills are big R C Sproul fans and so just let you hear the, you may or may not have known that he was a Presbyterian minister and a paedo-baptist, and so let you hear from him on his own terms, and um, and then I would like to sort of weigh in on and critique the argument, and then invite Donnie to, to, to do the same. So um, I think this is the most, you know, compelling case for infant baptism, not anything about the Catholic understanding of washing away guilt or, or purgatory, but a biblical case that he's trying to make for infant baptism. He says, though infant baptism has been the majority practice of historic Christianity, its propriety has been solemnly challenged by godly Christians of various denominations. The questions surrounding infant baptism rest upon several concerns. The New Testament neither explicitly commands infants to be baptized nor explicitly prohibits them from being baptized. The debate centers on questions surrounding the meaning of baptism and the degree of continuity between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And then he's got sort of a paragraph here summarizing credo-baptist position that I would subscribe to and West Hills subscribes to, Converge subscribes to. Um, but I'll, I'll spare you that since, um, you know, we'll, we'll get into that more later. But yeah, the, the, the Pado, yeah, covenant theology of baptism is this. He says, on the other hand, those of us who favor infant baptism stress its parallels with circumcision. Though baptism and circumcision are not identical, they have crucial points in common. Both are signs of the covenant and both are signs of faith. In the case of Abraham, he came to faith as an adult. He made a profession of faith before he was circumcised. He had faith before he received the sign of that faith. Abraham's son, Isaac, on the other hand, received the sign of his faith before he had the faith that the sign signified as was the case with all future children of the covenant. So what he's doing there is he's pointing out that in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, circumcision was given as an adult believer uh, based on profession of, of faith in God to Abraham. But subsequently it was given to Abraham's children as, as um, infants. <clears throat> then he goes on to say the crucial point here is that in the Old Testament, God ordered that a sign of faith be given before faith was present. Since that was clearly the case, it is erroneous to argue in principle that it is wrong to administer a sign of faith before faith is present. And so I'll just pause there and, and start my critique and say, um, where he says it's, an, it's erroneous to argue in, in principle that it's wrong to administer a sign of faith before faith is present. I would say, in principle, yeah, you're right, but it depends on the sign and the covenant. So this is where, again, I would say I, I probably wouldn't disagree very strongly at all with R.C. Sproul or, or Kevin DeYoung or any of the other um, Presbyterian, you know, Tim, or, or Don. Yeah, Tim Keller. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Tim Keller. Um, with, the, with the idea, I actually, I actually kind of love the covenantal theology and understanding of baptism where I would disagree and where I think, you know, John MacArthur and John Piper and other guys that I equally respect and agree with more on this position where we would disagree is we would say um, it all comes down to what covenant. So um, I think for me, I would read, I mean, I could point to any number of passages in, in the New Testament, but particularly Hebrew, the book of Hebrews, particularly chapters 7 through 10. And I would say, um, yeah, I, I think it's very clear to me that the uh, New Testament, I mean, literally means new, new, new covenant. 
um, is what the meaning of testament and that the New Testament wants to stress over and over again, time and time again, read Romans, uh, you know, two through six and Paul's argument there, um, the, the, that this is a new thing. This is really different. So the, the signs and the symbols and the things that you're used to from the Old Testament, um, expect them to change. Expect for Jews only to now be Jews and Gentiles. Expect for covenant made unilaterally by God for your good because you're so depraved to now be more of a mutual thing. It's by grace you're saved through faith. And this is a covenant of faith by faith. And it actually um, requires something of us. It's not just the covenant that God made uh, with with Noah or with Abraham or, or with any of the, the, the folks in the Old Testament where God unilaterally sort of pledges to be their God and to do these things for them. No, this is for all who would believe. And that's really clear to me um, in the New Testament. So R.C. Sproul goes on from that to say, it's also important to notice that the narrative record of baptisms in the New Testament are of adults who were previously unbelievers. They were first generation Christians. He says, it has always been the rule that adult converts who were not children of believers at the time of their infancy must make a profession of faith before receiving baptism, which is the sign of their faith. So this to me is, is, the, is the scariest part of the paedo-baptist argument is in, in, in his, what R.C. Sproul just admitted there in his understanding, if I was raised by total heathen, pagan unbelievers, and I started hearing about Jesus for the first time as a 20-year-old, and then I came to faith as a 30-year-old. According to R.C. Sproul's understanding, I should now be baptized um, as a believer, uh, and that that would, in his you know, view, and unarguably be the New Testament practice of what we see happening with people who were not raised by Christians. But what, he, what he's saying is, however, um, you know, if, you're ch- if you're a child of believers— at the time of your infancy, then it's not necessary for you to make a profession of faith before receiving baptism that you can be baptized as an infant. And so I guess, you know, part of what some of this would come down to is, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, Donnie and I were talking about it even before we hit, clicked record here, and Donnie was just sharing with me that he wouldn't feel comfortable doing a child dedication because, in your opinion, that would be like, um, be like uh, uh, baptizing an infant only without the water. Mm-hmm. And so your question would be, well, what are we even doing at that point? And I guess for me, I would turn the tables and I would say, I would feel obviously uncomfortable baptizing an infant because to me, that's just a baby dedication. All your, What are you really doing? You're not actually doing anything by bringing the water out there. All you're doing is I, as a parent, am saying, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to you know, build faith into everything we do as a family. I'm going to, you know, love and encourage and, and evangelize you as my, well, not even evangelize. Cause even the, even the argument that I read from Kevin DeYoung in preparation for this, Kevin DeYoung says, you know, in his understanding of the new Testament, children are, are not to be viewed by their parents as these godless heathens who need to be evangelized. They're to be viewed as children of the covenant. Mm-hmm. That to me is hugely dangerous. My three-year-old daughter, as much as it pains me to, to, to believe and to, and to know and to say, she is a godless heathen. She, she has some preliminary understanding of God right now. You know, we are doing everything we can to, to share the gospel and to share Christ's love with her all the time. But it's, it's, she's talking 
she's using the language that we use, but she, I know her as her father, and I know that she doesn't know what she's saying. And, and sin is rampant in her heart right now. She's a three-year-old. She's completely, utterly selfish. Um, she's beautiful. She's lovely. I love my daughter. But she is not saved. And if she die tomorrow, um, <laughs> I believe that by God's grace alone, you know, uh, we, it's a whole other issue about age of accountability and whatever else. But I don't believe that my daughter would burn in hell for all of eternity. But I, I don't believe that if Polly and I had baptized her as a, as a baby, that that would have done anything different for her or to her than any other three-year-old in the world right now. So for us, the decision to have her dedicated as a family was a, a decision by Polly and I of our faith that has absolutely no influence directly on her or her status and standing as a, as a you know, with, with God at all, other than the fact that we're going to pray for her and we're going to try and share Christ with her. So let me quickly get through the rest of Sproul's thing here. He says, about one-fourth of the baptisms mentioned in the New Testament indicate that entire households were baptized. This strongly suggests, though it does not prove, that infants were included among those baptized. Um, Again, that's... uh, Argument from silence. Argument from silence, the weakest form of argument. Um, It doesn't say that the the infants in the the household weren't baptized, so maybe we should assume that they were. Yeah, and that's only one-fourth of the baptism in the New Testament anyway. So his use of the word strongly suggests is... (laughs) Highly questionable. Yeah, he's trying to persuade. (laughs) Yeah. Um, He says, since the New Testament does not explicitly exclude infants from the new covenant sign, which I would disagree with that. I I think it does explicitly exclude in in a biblical, um, thorough understanding of the New Testament covenant. Uh, It is for faith, for those of faith. Um, Let me just quickly take you to a couple passages while we're on that point. So... Uh, I think one of the clearest is Colossians 2. should have held this. This will be like Bible drills where I can see how fast I can find it. Here we go. Got it. Colossians 2, uh, verses 12 and 13. Uh, Sorry, 11 and 12. Uh, Paul says, In him, in Christ, we're talking about Christ, in Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without human hands. So, well, let me just finish the whole quote. By, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. Then he continues immediately, next sentence, no period, having been buried with him in baptism, in which, in other words, in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Christ from the dead. So that's all one extended sentence, but Paul there clearly makes the connection for the covenant theology paedo-baptist. Yeah, that that baptism is the the sign of the new covenant. Absolutely. The question is, who is the new covenant for? And Paul clearly says in Colossians 2, it's for those who have been buried with him in baptism and who have been raised to new life through faith. Through faith, Colossians 2.12, in the powerful working of God. So I, I would... I would look at what, you know, um, respectfully, what if you've sprinkled your, your baby um, b- before coming to West Hills or whatever, um, or you were sprinkled, I would look at that and I would say, well, that's just, that's, uh, you did a child dedication and it happened to involve water, but you didn't actually baptize that baby. And we would look, so I, read Galatians 3, 26 and 27 for your own. Um, 
That's, that's another key passage here, Romans 6, verses 3 through 7. All these passages are making direct connections between um, baptism and faith and, uh, and, and the new covenant. Um, I mean, you can look at the very understanding, meaning of the, the word itself. Baptizo means immer- to immerse. Um, John the Baptist, literally, you know, if we, if we didn't transliterate that word, his name would be John the Dunker, John the Immerser. Um, John the Dipper, he, he dunked people underwater. And so all these things are pointing us to the, the reality that um, I, I think for me very clearly in the New Testament, baptism is for believers, for those of faith, by immersion, by baptizo, by, by dunking. Um, you know, look at Acts 8 and, and Philip and the, and the eunuch. Look at... Um, John 3.23, where John specifies that John the Baptist uh, was baptizing them near Anon, where there was plenty of water, so there had to be plenty of water. It doesn't take plenty of water to sprinkle someone. Um, you know, these are, all, these are all things that point us to the, the idea that, that we just read in our statement of faith. Baptism is the immersion in water of the one who professes faith in Christ Jesus. It's a sacrament, okay? So a sacrament is an external symbol or, or picture of an internal reality. Um, and so it, it wouldn't, doesn't make any sense from a West Hills or I would argue a New Testament standpoint to baptize an infant because you're not actually symbolizing any internal spiritual reality. No internal spiritual reality has happened in that infant that would merit you doing something externally to symbolize that baptism in the Holy Spirit. So that's what baptism is. Um, You know, interestingly, the strongest, I think the strongest argument for infant baptism is history itself. So um, Paedo-Baptists will point to the fact that by, uh, by the middle of the third century, so um, within 200 years of the New Testament being written, um, we have evidence of babies being baptized, and we don't have evidence of there being you know, a huge conflict about that in the church or debate. And so the question we have to answer then is, you know, that, that they point to is, well, clearly this must then have just been the understanding of the church all along. They were baptizing babies, and um, you know, that's, that's, that's the strongest argument is the historical argument, but... You know, I, I, the, I guess the thing I would point to there is to say well, the early church, even if, you know, early church wasn't perfect either. Um, and so even if, even if within a generation they did start baptizing their babies, that didn't make it right. And it didn't make it the way, the way that, uh, that Jesus or the New Testament outlined for us. So that's my case. And now we're at 30 minutes. Yeah, so we're just gonna. I'm gonna summarize. The, we can make a longer episode. This can be, a, yeah. This can yeah. be a longer because this is a, a deeply theological issue. Right. Um. Yeah, Will has pointed out that I am. I am much more on the fence about this than he is. Even, even saying that there are probably denominations that I more largely agree with, um, concerning baptism and pedo baptism and credo baptism. Um, and but I also will hold the same thing. So John Frame is a theologian at Reformed Theological Seminary. He says this at the end of his, uh, his section about infant baptism. He says, I don't believe that Christians should break fellowship over this issue. Indeed, I wish there were a way believers holding different positions on this matter could belong to the same church. But that doesn't seem to be a widely held position in the evangelical church today. Mm-hmm. And I'm definitely in agreement with John Frame. Um, and would say, just like I said about the long ending of Mark, there are, are probably solid arguments on both sides of this. And that faithful Christian people have been paedo-baptist and credo-baptist. 
Um, which is, again, something I referenced previously, the whole point of the Gospel Coalition, that people who have disagreements can faithfully come together under under the Gospel of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection. Um, but I'm going to sum up the Presbyterian Church of Americas or just a Pado-Baptist position on this because I do go to Covenant Seminary and they are uh, Pado-Baptist there. So they would say that baptism is a sign of the covenant having nothing at all to do with salvation. Um, so the New Testament confirms the connection between circumcision and baptism as well as Passover and the Lord's Supper. And that's in Colossians 2, 11 through 14, which says, In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith, the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. I'm not, I, I agree with Will, actually, that faith is the thing that saves you. But I would also say that the connections of baptism um, to circumcision here uh, by Paul in uh, Colossians pretty generally may lead us to assume that maybe baptism isn't just for people who can profess something, but that if it does have any relation to the circumcision of the Old Testament, then it's something that is for that is given to God's people and his children. Um, that's in Gen- Genesis 26, 3 through 4, 28, 13 through 14. Deuteronomy 29, 9 through 13, and Joshua 5, 2 through 9. Um, yeah, so the words of the covenant and circumcision were something that belonged to the households in the Old Testament, but also something that belonged to the families. So that makes sense that Abraham would have his son circumcised as soon as he was born. Abraham was an older man who was, who was circumcised, so he did come to faith later in life um, and then was circumcised. Once he was part of the community of God, that's what people do. They were circumcised in the Old Testament. In the same way, children who are born into families under the covenant, which just means under one of God's big promises to his people, those children were circumcised. So just ask if an older non-believer comes to faith in Christ, we would baptize them. That's what we would do. Um, when they have children, uh, the Pado baptists they those children belong to members of God's covenant family. And therefore, if the sign and seal of the New Testament is baptism, and that belong to the children of people in the Old Covenant, it is logical then to assume that in the New Covenant, the sign and seal should also belong to children, which is why the Pado-Baptist would say, yeah, we can baptize our children because this is a sign of God's faithfulness to his covenant community having um, nothing to do with the salvation that is outworked um, within them that will be later done in confirmation asking um, if they do have faith in Jesus Christ. So in the in a lot of churches who baptize children, there's something called confirmation, which means later we ask them, hey, do you believe this? And then they say, yeah. And so then we see that the covenant sign was on them the whole time, but they may not have had faith the whole time. Um, so baptism doesn't save people. It just shows that they belong somewhere. Also, while Abraham and his household were circumcised forthwith, the Lord's commanded, <laughs> the Lord commanded, command, the Lord's command required that hereafter male infants were to be circumcised on the eighth day of life. So the sign of the covenant in the Old Testament was that children would be circumcised. If, the, if there's no logical discontinuity from the old into the new, um, we're, we're, we have the freedom then to say as faithful Christian men and women, if you do believe this, that it is fine then to baptize children um, by pouring water on them. Uh, so Will has brought up multiple times that the word baptizo means to emerge, um, to immerse, which is actually the most widely used um, definition of that word. Uh, To dip repeatedly, to immerse or submerge, like when you sink a ship, 
Um, but there are also two other definitions that work um, when you talk about immersion. Um, to cleanse by dipping or submerging, to wash or to make clean. Um, like in, in the Old Testament, when you talk about sprinkling the water on the side of the Ark of the Covenant, that word is baptizo, but it's also um, the word for sprinkling, and that's how it's translated. It also means to overwhelm or to put something on someone. So the pouring of water on a baby's head in covenant uh, baptism in the Presbyterian church or Pado Baptist church would just symbolize that we agree that this child will be raised as part of the community, just like circumcision in the Old Testament agreed um, that people who are children of God's people would be raised up. Um, but sorry, back to baptizo. When we, when we jump immediately to the most widely used definition of the word, that's actually called a root fallacy that the, the most commonly used definition of that word is the word that therefore it should all be translated to and understood as. While baptizo, I will say confidently, <laughs> is mostly used as a way to talk about immersion and, and dunking somebody underwater, um, there are also other ways by which that word is used that we should be mindful of when it comes to establishing this understanding of like, it's called a semantic, do um, semantic range. It's like, how much does this word mean? Um, and that is very, very generally someone <laughs> that is very generally the position of a Pado Baptist. Um, and I will, I will actively say that there is no specific evidence in the New Testament of children being baptized, except for these conversations about households being baptized. Um, and also, I was raised in the Church of Christ who believe that you should be baptized upon confession. Um, whenever someone comes to faith in the New Testament, we'll set it. And it's true that those people um, are baptized immediately. There's no shortage of water here that we should baptize them. So. There, I, I can affirm um, both sides of the issue in saying that there are incredible arguments on both sides, um, but that I'm, I'm, I'm not convinced one way or the other when it comes to this issue. And it absolutely shouldn't be an issue that divides people um, or divides the church. Well, I would, so I'll disagree with that. I think it should be an issue that dis divides the, the church, not, not, you know, into we're in and you're out. I, mean, I think it's, again, clear to me that <laughs> I'm going to be hanging out with all these guys that I respect and love in heaven um, and, and happen to disagree with on baptism like like Keller and DeYoung and whoever else. But um, but I do think that it's, it's okay that it divides the church on Sunday mornings. I think that it's okay. I, I think it's an important enough issue uh, for us as Baptists that it divides us. Um, and as believers, that it that it should divide us uh, according to um, our understanding of what it means to be a part of uh, the covenant community. You know, like like Donna, you just said. Um, you know, w w what we're saying is we agree to raise this child in the covenant community, and you know that that really a lot of what you're saying. You know, it's interesting. A lot of what the the Pado Baptist sort of argument comes down to is what it means to be a member of of the of a community and to belong, you use the word belonging and, and all these things, and to be a part of the family and family belonging community. These are all essential to our understanding of this issue. And, um, yeah, at the end of the day where, where I would come down and we would come down as a church and where, you know, Donnie and I might disagree is, um, is actually to say that I share more in common with you, Donnie, someone who I disagree with on, on this issue and haven't even made my mind up personally whether <laughs> I even like you yet or not. Yeah. Um, <laughs> kind of joking. Uh, I share more in common with you than I do my own daughter, who I love more than anything in the world. Mm -hmm. That you and I 
because of the gospel that bonds us together, we are a member of a family in, in, a, in a way that trumps and supersedes my biological family and my biological connection to my own daughter, who I love more than anything in the world. And so that to me, you know, this understanding of family. And when Jesus says, who are my, who's my mother, my brothers, who, who's my family? Those who believe and do the, the will of the Lord. When Jesus, Jesus's anti-family teaching in the gospels about what it means to really belong to the family, that probably as much as anything informs my theology of baptism and what, it, you know, and where you truly belong. You know, my daughter belongs at West Hills. I mean, we're going to raise her here and we, we're going to love her here and we're going to evangelize her here. We're not going to treat her as a member of the covenant community like Kevin DeYoung does with his children and his church because she's not yet. And she won't be until she makes a profession of faith, until she's been baptized with the Holy Spirit and she has the Holy Spirit living in her heart. Um, but we're going to love her. And and for that matter, too, I'll, I'll make the turn now and talk to our listeners. If, if you're listening to this and you've been attending West Hills and you haven't been baptized and because you don't even believe <laughs> and then you're, you're just on the fence about all of this that that we're talking about um in the gospel and every and jesus and everything else you belong here and we want you here and we love you here just like we love my daughter but you belong in a different way um, and you don't have a seat at the family table in the same way um you know you're not going to be a voting member at our church because um you know you don't have the holy spirit at work in your heart um and you know, it's really important for church membership to mean something. And that's why for us, you know, as a Baptist church, baptism is so important because it is your rite of passage. It's your initiation ritual right into the covenant family. So you can, you can claim to have had some personal subjective experience with Jesus all you want. And ultimately it is between you and the Lord when it comes to your eternity. But when it comes to being a part of the covenant community of faith, here on earth baptism is your ticket in that's that's your rite of passage um can you get the elders of the church can you get you know a plurality of 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 church leaders to sign off on your credible testimony of faith because we can we have actually witnessed through your your life life the fruit of your actions the fruit of the holy spirit at work in your heart and we've witnessed um you know, your understanding cognitively of the gospel and your, and your, you know, experience of it on an emotional level. And, and I just go back to my John Piper quote on the experience of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Spirit from the sermon last Sunday, too. This is not just a head thing. It's a heart thing. So for all those reasons, um, you know, I just want to make one more plea to, to any of you who are listening to this, who um, have not been baptized as a believer uh, yet, uh, let me just really quickly run you through these, because um, we spent a lot of time on the, the other case that we, the paedo-baptist case that we, argument that we don't subscribe to as a church on this episode, but um, uh, here, here are the passages you want to go to um, for this is... Uh, why should I be baptized? This is a document that Gary put together um, years back, and I share with people in preparation for baptism here. Why should I be baptized? Number one, to follow the example set by Christ. That's a Mark, Mark 1 passage we studied last week. Number two, because Christ commanded it. Matthew 28, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I command. What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to follow Christ? It means two things. It means to be baptized, and it means to be taught and to, to, follow, to, taught to obey the commands of Christ. Evangelism and discipleship. It means to, to, you know, 
to make that profession of faith, evangelism, um, to, to respond to evangelism, the gospel, and then to commit to following it, to being taught and trained up in it. That's what it means to follow him. Number three, uh, baptism demonstrates that I really am a believer. So look at Acts 18, 8. Many of the people who heard him believed and were baptized. John 2, 3, we know that if we have come to him, we will obey his commands. And this is a command of, of our Lord. Um, what is the meaning of baptism? We covered that one. It illustrates Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Read 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, uh, Colossians 2, 12 again that we talked about. It illustrates my new life as a Christian. Um, so check out 2 Corinthians 5, 17. The old has passed away, the new has come. Um, by baptism, we're buried with him and share in, in his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, so too we may live in a new life, Romans 6, 4. Um, so yeah, we don't believe in baptismal regeneration here at West Hills. We don't believe that, like, like Donnie said, we don't believe that baptism is what saves you. Mm-hmm. That would be a work um, that would that would go against Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, where Paul says it's by grace you're saved through faith, not by works, so not even the work of baptism. So we don't add, like a, you mentioned, the Church of Christ. Um, Church of Christ Trish, Christian churches would add baptism um, to, to, yes, to yeah. their understanding of the gospel. They would say Jesus, in their understanding, I, this would be my way of putting it, uh, is Jesus is not enough for your salvation. You need Jesus plus baptism. And we would absolutely reject that and say no. Christ alone, it is by grace alone, by, in, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, uh, according to scripture alone, that you're yeah. saved. Um, and, and baptism is merely but significantly a sign of that. So this is a really significant sign, the significant sign. Uh, so why be baptized by immersion? It's what the word means, baptizo. Every baptism in the Bible appears to have been by immersion. Jesus was apparently baptized by immersion. Many Christian pastors and theologians from the past degree, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Wesley, uh, it, it best symbolizes spiritual cleansing and newness of life experienced by those who have trusted in Christ. So for all these reasons, we immerse. Uh, who should be baptized? Every person who has believed in Christ. Acts 2.41, those who believed and accepted his message were baptized. Acts 8.13, Simon himself believed and then was baptized. Acts 8.12, when, when they believed Philip as he preached the good news, then they were baptized. Um, so at West Hills, we, um, again, for all these reasons, we believe in credo bap- baptism and uh, believers baptism, and we want you to join us in that. So even if you have been baptized um, as an infant on, uh, on the profession of faith of someone else, um, we want you to understand that that uh, did nothing for you in terms of your salvation, in terms of your standing with God, in terms of uh, your you're being reconciled to a holy, perfect God um, if you have not been baptized with the Holy Spirit yourself and trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins personally. That is how you are made right with God. And baptism is meant in the New Testament and given to be the most powerful sign um, of that profession of faith and of that newness of life. And I just want to encourage you, man, if... I get to get up and preach every week. I get to sit with Donnie and do these podcasts every week. Uh, I don't care how shy you are. We want to give you a platform to have three to, you know, two, let's say if you're shy, one to five minutes 
to profess publicly and to declare the goodness of God in your life personally and to share that good news with others. You know, we're, we're clearly commanded to uh, share the good news over and over again in Scripture. We want to give you a platform to do that. You don't get the pulpit every week, but you, we will give you that opportunity in baptism if you have not yet, uh, again, been faithful to do that. So please come talk to me and let's find a time um, to give you that platform to testify to God's goodness in your life and his power to save you, even if it was 40 years ago as a teenager, and to invite your friends and your family because you want them to hear that good news and you want to share that with them. Um, man, nothing excites me more as a pastor, as a just a Christian. And so I'm excited to do that uh, with Allie this Sunday and uh, with a couple more of y'all in the Sundays to come. So, Yeah, well, that's made kind of a full-orb view of both credo baptism. Um, you heard a little bit about West Hill's stance on baptism, which is credo. Uh, the Presbyterian Church of America's stance, which is paedo-baptist, but also that, like, while church, while Will says churches might uh, might sit in separate spots, they're all one body of people who believe under the name of Jesus Christ, right. who we're unified by. Um, and this one <laughs> has been a slightly longer, probably nearly twice as the twice as long. Um, but this is an important issue, and we hope this um, helps to punctuate that. So thank you for joining us on episode six of the Going Deeper podcast. We're well on our way to ten, we which are. is kind of cool. Let's do it. Uh, yeah, so, and thank you for joining us. Please share this around with your friends if you want them to experience thoughtful uh, Christian conversation about things that are happening around West Hills. And until next time, we will see you. Bye. Thanks, Donnie.